This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. One that takes a look at everything our national football team has to offer. Be it the senior men, our lionesses, the under 21s, as much as I can fill an episode with. You have joined me at a milestone episode. Throughout 2022, I have looked at every World Cup that England have participated in and it amounts to 15 tournaments up until now. In those episodes I've spoken with fans and journalists who have followed England in the hope of seeing us pick up the winning trophy. I've also spoken to a couple of players too. I just want to add my many thanks to all of them for their time and memories and they are as always, available to listen to at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. And I'll give them all a roll call at the end of this episode. This is the final episode in the series. It's Russia 2018. Although my arm may be twisted, and I may do an extra one, a bonus episode in the new year, looking back at Qatar. We'll see. Coming up, I'll be joined, as always, by an England fan who spent some time in Russia during the tournament. It was a tournament I managed to get to one England game in Russia. It was the Belgium group game in Kaliningrad, which, as I'll come on to explain, is a slightly different part of Russia. So I didn't really get to have the full-on Russia 2018 World Cup experience but having spent some time in the country some time ago whilst traveling I don't kind of feel I really missed out although as the tournament progressed (laughs) I have to admit I was regularly looking at Skyscanner and the like. Now the announcement for the 2018 World Cup was done for the first time at the same ceremony as the 2022 Qatar announcement. Regarding Russia, FIFA began the process back in 2009. Nine nations initially put their name in the ring. Mexico quickly withdrew. FIFA didn't accept Indonesia as their government failed to supply any supporting documents. And as time went on, Australia, Japan and the USA all withdrew. Those that were left included ourselves, joint bids from Portugal and Spain and the Netherlands and Belgium. And there was also the bid from Russia. And it was Russia who were eventually awarded it, but not without controversy. Even back then, there were calls of foul play, corruption and bribery. And as the tournament approached... There was talk of racism in football, human rights and LGBT issues. And even then, there was the talk of Russia, who had invaded and annexed Crimea. That became headline news once again. 
Russia would incorporate 12 stadiums across 11 cities to host the finals. Nine of them were total new builds, and the other three were renovated to bring them up to FIFA tournament standard. Now, with Russia being the land size that it is, it was chosen that all the venues would be in the western side of the country, going no further east than Yekaterinburg, which sits just above Kazakhstan. Of course, there would be time zones to take into account. Yekaterinburg is four hours ahead of England, and another venue, Samara, is three hours ahead. There were nine venues that were two hours ahead, and these were St. Petersburg, Moscow, which had two stadiums, Nizhny Novgorod, Kazan, Saransk, and in the south there was Volgograd, Rostov-on-Don, and Sochi, which in 2014 had held the Winter Olympic Games. And then there was one other stadium, the one that I attended, in the city of Kaliningrad. This is a small Russian semi-exclave that sits between Lithuania and Poland on the coast of the Baltic Sea. Now, both the opening game and the final would be held in Moscow, in the renovated Luzhniki Stadium. On to the qualification. England were drawn in UEFA's Group F alongside Slovakia, Scotland, Slovenia, Lithuania, and Malta. <laughs> Personally, Slovakia and Slovenia in the same group was a disaster for me. I still have never worked out which is which, despite them both becoming independent nations in the early 90s. England would top the group with eight wins from ten, and the other two results being draws. It was a campaign that saw England have two managers. It began with Sam Allardyce in charge for his one and only game, the first game of the campaign in September 2016, away at Slovakia, where a last-minute Adam Lallana goal saw us take all three points. He then left the position following a situation whereby he was caught. By an undercover sting, talking about how to get around FIFA and FA bans on the third-party ownership of players—a very embarrassing situation for all concerned. But it meant that the FA had to work quickly to bring in a replacement. Gareth Southgate was the chosen one. Then the under-21s manager, although he wasn't immediately given the role full-time, the FA put him in. Temporary charge, a caretaker role, if you will, for our next four games. These included the three World Cup qualifiers against Malta, which was won two nil, a nil nil draw with Slovenia, and a three nil victory over Scotland. His fourth game was a two two draw with Spain, and he was then appointed as full time manager on the fifteenth of November. England moved into 2017 with a 2-0 win over Lithuania, then a dramatic 2-2 draw with the old enemy away to Scotland at Hampden Park. Harry Kane rescuing a point deep into injury time. There was a hard-fought 4-0 away win over Malta, where three goals were scored in the 86th and the 90th minute, 
and also in injury time. And Slovakia and Slovenia were beaten at Wembley. And finally, Lithuania beaten by a goal to nil away from home. It was a tournament that had 32 teams competing. Obviously, as hosts, Russia didn't have to go through the qualification process. But they were joined by 13 from Europe. They were ourselves, Belgium, Germany, Spain, Poland, Iceland, Serbia, Portugal, France, Switzerland, Croatia, Sweden and Denmark. Five came from Asia, Iran, South Korea, Japan, Saudi Arabia and Australia. And from the Confederation of Africa, five nations, Tunisia, Nigeria, Morocco, Senegal and Egypt. Three from CONCACAF, Mexico, Costa Rica and Panama. And South America provided five nations, Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, Colombia and Peru. There were some big names that missed out. The biggest, probably Italy, who lost to Sweden in the playoffs. The Netherlands and also the USA failed too. And from Africa, there was no Cameroon. Iceland and Panama, well it was the first time for those nations. So Gareth Southgate had a squad to pick. It was his first World Cup squad. It was as follows. Three goalkeepers. Jordan Pickford of Everton. Jack Butland of Stoke City. Nick Pope of Burnley. Defenders Kyle Walker of Manchester City. Danny Rose of Tottenham Hotspur. John Stones also of Manchester City. Harry Maguire, Leicester City. Kieran Trippier of Tottenham Hotspur, Gary Cahill, Chelsea, Phil Jones, Manchester United, Trent Alexander-Arnold of Liverpool, Fabian Delph of Manchester City and Ashley Young of Manchester United. In midfield, Eric Dyer, Tottenham Hotspur, Jesse Lingard, Manchester United, Jordan Henderson from Liverpool, Deli Alley of Tottenham Hotspur and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who was at Crystal Palace. And five strikers, captain Harry Kane of Tottenham Hotspur, Raheem Sterling, Manchester City, Jamie Vardy of Leicester City, Marcus Rashford of Manchester United, and finally Danny Welbeck of Arsenal. As we always do, we look at some of those little things that surround the World Cup. And throughout this series, we've looked at the posters, the mascots, the music as well. And the 2018 edition of the World Cup was no different. The poster was actually quite a good one, although quite different from previous ones. It was made to look like an older style poster. And for the first time, they featured a video to go alongside it. It was made by the Russian artist Igor Gurevich. It was said to be a true reflection of Russia's artistic and football heritage. The central figure was the famous Russian goalkeeper Lev Yashin. He played in four World Cups, 1958, 1962, 1966 and 1970, where he represented the Soviet Union, as they were known then. He was famous for wearing all black and his trademark flat cap. On the poster, he's seen claiming the ball with an outstretched arm. The ball, an outline of the country of Russia, and it has beams coming down from it. 
is the way of representing Russia's achievements in space exploration. Now the mascot, Zabivaka. This was a take on a Eurasian wolf. The name was a combination of the Russian word for wolf and to strike. He would wear a white t-shirt with blue sleeves and red shorts. Together, they made the colours of the national flag of Russia. He'd also wear red sports goggles. Needed, apparently, because he was so fast. Let's take a look at how the TV channels in England introduced the World Cup to us. For the BBC, the music was produced by Sigala, a British DJ who transformed an old Russian folk song. There's lots of old footage, but now showing different ways of watching the matches through mobile phones and tablets. Football stickers also featured, and there were lots of familiar Russian things. Trains, Russian dolls, Red Square, St. Basil's Cathedral, and the amazing Russian underground system. It was all centred around a little girl carrying a football balloon. Welcome to the greatest show on Earth. Earth. The commercial channel ITV, they went with the Russian ballet as its focal point. And the famous sounds of Swan Lake was written by the famous Russian composer Tchaikovsky. It also featured what looks like a circus with a ringmaster. Plenty of circus tricks and traditional Russian dancing. Sadly, it would seem that now the days of musicians writing and performing their own songs for the England team have gone, so no major artist penned a tune for them. It was now more a commercial thing with an official FIFA song. This was written and performed by Nicky Jam, and it featured Will Smith of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air fame, and also an Albanian Kosovan artist, Era Istarefi. It was called Live It Up, and it didn't even chart here in the UK. Now ahead of the tournament, England were drawn in Group G, alongside Panama, Tunisia and Belgium. And this is where I'd like to bring in Coventry and England fan CJ Joyner. Now, going back to 2018, I am so pleased to say I'm once again joined by Coventry and England fan CJ Joyner, who four years ago gave the podcast regular updates from his travels across Russia. CJ, hello there. Hello, Russ. You all right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Good to have you back on. I know we've spoken since 2018, but um, yeah, yeah good, good to have you back on. Was that your first World Cup? First World Cup I did, yeah. You've been to the been to the Euros though before. Right. Yeah, I've done the Euros before, but yeah, that was the first World Cup. What was what's the feeling like, like knowing you were going to a, a World Cup? Oh, it's 
brilliant. It was just building up to it over the few weeks before. Uh, a few weeks before that, you had the um, the unfortunate poisonings in uh, in Salisbury. So there was that 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 kind of like we were thinking, oh, you know, what's going to happen here? Are we going to be? Uh, are we even going to be going? Because I mean, at one stage it was muted that we might pull out, but um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, it was just exciting, wasn't it? It was just an exciting time, and it was it was kind of a, a period I remember always. Yeah, as you say, the, the poisonings in in Salisbury there, and and previous to that, there was, I mean, in the build up to it, there was talk of stuff that we we still hear now, like all the the LGBT issues, and yeah. there was the there was talk of racism in football there, and there was the Crimea yeah. had happened what three four years beforehand, so it was always had a little bit of an edge to it, didn't it? It did, it did, yeah. Obviously, it's slightly more edgy over there now. Yes, um, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but even so, you know, there's still very, you know, it was worrying really um, going there for, I would say, a lot of people, understandably. And, um, you know, um, from what I experienced, they had no need to worry really from when we actually got there. But it was understandable beforehand why they would be worried about going over there and just being themselves, you know. So, Obviously, you are a uh, an England travel club member and have been for quite some time. Tickets for you weren't a problem, I guess, but not knowing, obviously, how far we'd get, what what was the situation with tickets? Did you, did you just get your group stage? And, and obviously, with, with your time going over there, what was your original plans? Did you just think, right, I'm going for a certain period or I'm going for as long as England are? Well, we, we flew out. Sort of a few days before our first game. Do you remember the draw? We were one of the later groups, I think, weren't we? If I remember rightly. And me and Dan were sat there when the draw was happening, and uh, my friend that went with me. And we, um, we we knew pretty much as soon as I think like the fourth team got drawn out for our pot, mm. we knew then that we could just fly out at the point that we did. And we just booked the flight there and then outbound. We didn't book a return flight. We didn't know when it was going to be. So we had our group stage tickets as automatic. And then the rest of them were conditional on, on us getting there, like most people really. And we we just thought, we'll just take it as it comes. And at the end of the day, if, if we lose in the round of 16 or something, then what we would do, we would, you know, we would book the first flight back that we could. But, you know, if it meant that we had to stay a day or two in, in Russia or fly back via somewhere else and spend a day or two there, that was fine. It wasn't a problem. And yeah, we, we were, it was kind of completely open-ended. Uh, our accommodation was booked, I think initially kind of in, in blocks because we were, the traveling was quite far, you know, 18 to 26 hours on trains uh, each way and stuff like that. So overnight a lot of the time you know we'd sleep on the trains and the cabins there so but the so the accommodation I think was booked in blocks up until effectively around the 16 I think and then we, we just went from that point forward booking it um as we went so we we were actually in group g and we were drawn alongside Tunisia Panama and Belgium uh, and as you say there was a lot of traveling to be done that first game well before we get on to talking about the games what you must have thought, yeah, we'll, we'll get through that group quite easily. I mean, and then, yeah. then what were your thoughts for the going forward? Yeah, we thought we'd get through quite easily. We, we thought, you know, what, the Belgian game will probably be a dead rubber. And it was. Mm. We all thought that we, you, you know, we Panama would come out with zero points. 
and um, we, we were, but we would, we we knew it'd be tight against Tunisia. We didn't think we were going to go out and annihilate them at all yeah. because I think they they were the best. Uh, well, they were the highest ranked team in Africa, I think, at the time, and they were, you know, they they, they were a good side, and we, we just thought, you know, that they're going to be, they're going to try and contain us. It might be a bit dull to watch, but we should be able to get the the job done and. We just about did it, didn't we? We did. Harry Kane in the uh, in the last minute after he'd put us ahead quite early on in the game. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was in Volgograd, wasn't it? Tell us Correct. about that. Well, Volgograd is a place I've actually always wanted to go to. It okay. used to be called Stalingrad. Right. Um, and obviously it changed its name for various reasons. <laughs> uh, it's actually twinned with Coventry. So um, Volgograd, Dresden... Hiroshima and Coventry were like the first example of town twinning. Right. So they were all hammered in the war in one way or another, you know, some worse than others, obviously. And uh, yeah, Volgograd was kind of like one of our friendship towns. Okay. Um, so it's somewhere I've always wanted to go. And there's little references all around there to, to Coventry in, in the, you know, and, and the other the other places it's twinned with um, around the town, around, around the city. I mean, it, it was a bit of a way away from Moscow. I, th- I think that was like 18, 19 hours got on the train. I think we flew back from there. I think that was about an hour and a half, maybe, I think, that flight. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was quite a, you know, it's quite a distance, really. It shows you the size um, of the country. Yeah, yeah. It, and we, we were only in a small part of it, weren't we? We were, what were we, we effectively used about a third of the country yeah. for the World Cup. You know, so it shows how big that country is. Really, it's it's, it's hard to fathom. And I, I think actually that some of the people we met along the way that said they live in Moscow, they live got two hours from Red Square to right. drive, <laughs> but their address was still Moscow. And that you know, it was a genuine yeah. like, Moscow address. And I think Moscow itself is actually kind of roughly the what you call Moscow is roughly the same as eyes as what Qatar is. You know, that's a oh, you know, wow. it, that's that brings it home really, doesn't it? Wow, was was Volgograd the one with the the massive statue um, there? Yeah, the motherland statue. Yeah, and you've got it. the tomb of the tomb of the unknown soldier or warrior, one of the two in there. So we went there after the game, and the other thing that happened there as well. What firstly, what I would say is uh, the fan fest there was absolutely brilliant. It was on the it was on this bank, and it was looking down into the river. I think it's the River Volga, I think. So it's looking down into there and you've got the big screen in front of the river. That's beautiful, really, really beautiful place. And then um, the, the other thing that happened there, every year for about two or three days, a swarm of flies descend on um, <laughs> on the city. And it right. just happened to be when we were playing there. Ah. So, um, and what I do remember is seeing the replays afterwards I mean, they were they were just a proper pain. All the, when we were there, just constantly hitting our arms and our legs and our heads and whatever, just trying to get rid of them. But what I do remember seeing on the highlights is, uh, I think Pickford was wearing a yellow keeper shirt in that game. When he landed, you could see like this this cloud jump up from the pitch, and they're actually dead flies. Oh, and it, what they'd done, they'd sprayed insecticide from a like a helicopter or a plane or whatever over, overhead. Yeah. Over, over the city and over the stadium in particular, just to try and get rid of them. And you could, they, they just all of a sudden, they just kind of just disappeared and it, at some point during the first half. But yeah, that's something I'll always remember just um, afterwards watching watching the replays and just see, seeing Pickford landing. They all just jumped up, you know, they're, they're all lying there on the pitch. Oh. So 
Um, not not the nicest experience, I'm sure, for him for, to be diving around in that, and for the Tunisian keeper as well. But mm. but yeah, so but like I say, it, it was. I believe the going back to the motherland statue. I believe that's the largest sword in the world. Um, mm. So yeah, but very impressive. Yeah. Um, um, you know that that whole complex is unbelievable, absolutely brilliant. Well, we got through the first game just beating Tunisia two one. Uh, it was then on to the game against Panama, which, I mean, Panama was their first ever experience of a World Cup. And this was a trip to Nizhny Novograd, I believe. That's correct. Uh, it's a place that I'd never heard of. No. Um, I would say that probably 90% of the people that went there, uh, whether they're England fans or from any of the, the thir- you know, 30 other visiting countries, probably couldn't couldn't have said, you know, I'd never heard of it. Uh, but I think it's got over a million people living there and it's the fifth biggest city in Russia, I believe. So, okay. yeah, something like that. It was, you know, it's quite a big place. And um, that one was about six hours, six or seven hours from Moscow. We based in Moscow, like I was saying, and we, we got on the we got on the, like, the free trains. We had the cabin overnight. And on the way over there, we got to, uh, well, we, we, we got into Nizhny at probably about, it was about six o'clock in the morning or something, and it was like I'm trying to think of a film it would it would remind me of, but all the mainly English people uh, walking out of this train station uh, in this far you know far away place that nobody ever really heard of, like rubbing our eyes because it's six o'clock in the morning, yeah. and like there's nothing, literally like nothing open, nothing open for two or three hours, and I think there was like a fast food joint actually that was open. And everyone just crammed into that. <laughs> we were like, you, you know, it's like the tube at five, you know, half past five. You know, yeah. you, you're literally shoulder to shoulder with people in there because uh, it was the only thing that was open. But one of the things that we did do was as you go out the station, you go left, it's all barricaded. There's like barriers across the streets. Right. But you go right, it's all really nice and everything. So we thought, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to go left. So we, we went left and we walked round. Oh, it was. It it wasn't like you could you could see that area was just not ready for a World Cup. Oh, you know, silly. you could see why they were trying to pull people away from there. But the other side of the city, the old town and the everything from the right as you go out the station, there was a kind of modernist shopping centre there as well that opened eventually. And it it was quite a nice place to be actually there, but through that barricade, it was you know, they hadn't touched it at all. So literally it was like being in a completely different city almost yeah, um strange. yeah so well panama so it's their, their first world cup and we beat them 6-1 uh, but what i do remember about that game is they were over the moon to have even scored to be honest with you i don't think there'd be many england fans in that ground because i know i i wasn't disappointed i wasn't necessarily disappointed we conceded against them oh. i know that might sound a bit strange but at the end of the day we were already battering them and yeah. that goal will be remembered but they scored against England at the World yeah. Cup that goal will be remembered forever by anybody that was there or anybody at home that's watching on TV and that's what that's what sport is kind of about really isn't it it's making yeah. memories and I'd like to think that for a couple of weeks you know regardless of what was going on you know in people's lives in Panama that they they were going to work with a smile on their face because that they they had that goal and I you know 
I didn't necessarily stand up and applaud it, but, you know, I, I smiled inside a little bit thinking, yeah, I'll, it would have been great to get a clean sheet, but still, you know, that goal is a bit more important than our clean sheet, all things considered, yeah, for, for football in general yeah, and fair, for the tournament as well. Fair comment, yeah. And then the the next game was, was the only game that I attended during this World Cup, and it was in a strange little place, Kaliningrad, and it was the game against Belgium, the last group game, Kaliningrad being this little isolated spot just away from mainland Russia. I mean, that must have been a pain for you to... You're going here, there and everywhere out of Moscow. I think it was like 26 hours each way or something. <laughs> and I got there at about one... No, I, I think it was still morning when I got there, maybe like 11 in the morning. And we left about one o'clock the next morning. So I was there for about 14 hours and I was on the train for 52. <laughs> um, getting there and back. So... It was a, um, it was, yeah. It, I mean, I've been, I've been to Riga and I've been to Vilnius, never been oh, yeah. to Estonia, but so I've been, so I've almost done the full set down there now right, with yeah. Kaliningrad. And I've got to say that it was more like, understandably, it was more like those places than what it was in mainland Russia. Yeah. But, which is kind of understandable, really. Um, and I, but what I do remember pretty much filling up a, a page or two of my passport going there because, you had to get your passport stamped, go leaving Russia, getting into Belarus, then leaving Belarus, and then ten minutes later, get, you know, uh, getting into well, it was Lithuania. We didn't get a stamp, but we still got it checked. And then the same, getting out of Lithuania, back into Russia in theory, and then the same coming back. And like you'd be asleep in the middle of the night, and they they wouldn't like you know give you a tickle on the foot to wake you up they they grab your foot and like <laughs> like twist it and just wake you up and just you know but that that was quite frustrating but i, I look at me it's an old passport now but i look at it sometimes thinking oh you know that was one journey you know all these stamps um but yeah i mean that was a game that you couldn't really write you, you, it was fairly memorable really the match was against you know belgium i think it's fair to say that neither team would have minded losing yeah, because of the route that came afterwards. And also, not only that, a big thing is what we're going to talk about, you know, going forward now is where we went afterwards. It would have been a hell of a lot further, you know, going further afield if we'd have taken the Belgian route, if we'd have ah. won that group. I wouldn't have objected to doing that at all because at the end of the day, you take it to comes, it's a tournament, you visit yeah. all these new places. But, yeah, it was a hell of a lot easier with the route we had it, for, for us in terms of finances and in terms of time as well, gotcha. time travelling. I've got a feeling this, the Belgium game, they won it by a goal to nil. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head who scored, but I seem to remember whoever did score, there was a player that followed up and ran himself into the post, I think. I can't remember. Was that? I can't. The thing is, the two games blend into one a little bit against Belgium in the tournament. That's true. And Bel- was it Yanazai that scored from the right? Was that, was that the one where he scored from the right? From our right? It was up the other end, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I th- I'm sure. It, well, so from where we were, from our from our right hand side, I'm sure he scored. Kind of like I don't know whether it's a tight angle. I'm trying to think, but it went pretty much top corner. But yeah, so I'm sure that I'm sure that it was that game and not the um, the third place game. Yeah. But, well, we'll- but yeah. So, um, but like I said. Kaliningrad, quite a nice place, and obviously a place that we wouldn't necessarily go to now. Um, but I'm pleased I went there, and it's um, yeah, you know, not off. too many people would have been there. That's right. So, yeah. 
Well, the 2018 World Cup, if, if you're to ask a, uh, an England supporter, probably your main memory of it is probably the next game, regardless of the fact that we made it so close. Colombia in the round of 16. Um, as I say, this, this wasn't too far for you because this was in Moscow. Now, Moscow had two stadiums for the World Cup. This wasn't yeah. in the Luzhniki, which we would eventually get to, but this was in Spartak Stadium, wasn't it? It was, which is the most... I mean, we, we played in six different cities and seven different stadiums in our yeah. seven games. And this was the only one that wasn't kind of almost purpose-built for the tournament, pretty much, or been purposely renovated for the right. tournament. It was an old-style stadium. It kind of it looked a slightly bigger version than maybe one of the two in Prague. That um, I don't know if anybody's done the t- done the two games in Prague. Similar sort of setup to there, really. I think they're, they're the closest I can think of that re- yeah. resemble it. Um, but yeah, it's proper old-school-style ground, and it was kind of a little bit. Di- it was a lot different from all the other stadiums because all the other stadiums were like brand new and, you know, glass everywhere and, you right. know, on the outsides and whatever. But this was like a proper old school stadium. But yeah, the game itself, this was where I think a lot of people started to take notice right. and where Southgate got to the hearts of a lot of people in the um in, in, you know, back home in particular, and also, you know, out, out over there as well. I think that there was a few things like, for example, the fact that we, we'd won a penalty shootout in, in a World Cup. Yeah. The fact that we'd, it was against a good side as well. It was against a good side in, in, um, in Colombia. Um, we, we managed to hold off in extra time, obviously, to get there. The Pickford save, that was another one, and in the penalty shootout as well. And Southgate's, manner after the game where one of the first things he did he went over to one of the the um the Colombians didn't he to, to console him yeah because he's been there exactly. and it, that that I think all these things put together and it really kind of like everything came together and every a lot of people thought if they weren't Southgate fans in inverted commas before it's probably you know that this is where they, they they you know they kind of fell in love with the bloke really so where whereabouts were you in the ground? Were you behind the goal or were you watching it from the other end, the penalties? We were down the other end from the penalties. Right. Um, so uh, we were down, we, we were right at the other end. And I seem to remember we were we were outnumbered by the Colombians quite okay. significantly. And it's the same in the next game as well as against the Swedes, which so is just yellow, wasn't it? It's just so. It's, yeah. it's sometimes it's hard to remember one game from the other, especially when you know you just have got a wall of yellow um, <laughs> in both of them. And I've got to say, but both games we were outnumbered. But the Columbia game, I'm sure there was kind of like we were outnumbered, like pushing eight, nine, ten to one. It yeah. was like literally like that that sort of amount. Really, there was. I think there was. We had only sold. Oh, I think we sold about two thousand tickets, or maybe two and a half thousand tickets to that game, or something. But literally everywhere you look, it was just a yellow everywhere, and that was the same out in the streets as well. It was just right. everywhere you look. But it wasn't just Colombians out in the streets; it was mainly the South Americans. Um, right. Every other person you met was a South American. Uh, the Peruvians, there was. 25, 30,000 or something of them that going over. They were selling their houses and the cars, putting their jobs and, and going over. You know, there's quite a few stories of that. So, you know, it wasn't just the Colombians, but the South Americans really embraced the tournament, which you expect them to to do, really. 
and they really did travel on numbers in numbers. Excellent. Yeah. So I mean, the the story was we we won the penalty shootout for the first time in however long. Um, Kieran Dyer. Um, no, beg your pardon. Uh, Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer. <laughs> Eric Dyer um, scoring the uh, the winner, and I just just have these visions of the whole team running towards them and all having a big pile up. Yeah, must have must have been amazing. And and you mentioned Sweden in the quarterfinals, which going into it, I thought, wow, it's a quarterfinal of the World Cup. It's against Sweden, who are a decent side. When it came to it, Sweden, I think it would be fair to say, didn't turn up. It was quite comfortable, really, in the end, really? wasn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I think if they'd have scored, we probably may have gone out and scored another, you know. I think we we were very comfortable. I wouldn't say I was disappointed by their performance because obviously we, we, we beat them and you know, we want to see us win, but I would have expected a lot more from them. And yeah, it just didn't <laughs> it just didn't come from them. It, I don't know. Again, they they had a lot of their fans there, and we, you know, yeah, if you if you can't get yourself up for a World Cup quarter final with with with, with that backing that they had, it's. Um, it's a wonder whether you could get yourself up for anything, really. It was goals from Maguire and Deli Alley put us through through to the semi-final. But that game was in Samara. So how far was Samara from Moscow? What's the deal there? Was this the one where I there was a beach? Was, yeah, there was. There was a beach. on. The, I don't know whether it had been created for the just the tournament, right. but it was a beach on the river. And when you talk about river, I'm not sure. You look at the Thames, that's quite wide. This hmm. is like... This is like the English Channel, you know. <laughs> you could you could just about see the other, you know, what was going on the other side of it. It was quite wide, and they created this beach, and it had like it had a gym on it, and you know, but you know, but blokes and, and women kind of like doing uh, doing their exercises on there with the weights and what have you, and it had volleyball courts and all that sort of thing down there, and it was baking hot. I mean, yeah. most most of this tournament was, you know, it was baking hot, but they. I mean, it was what it was. It must have been. I reckon it was a good twenty hours journey each way on there, and yeah. the place itself. It, they really bought into the tournament. They really bought into the fact that they were having, um, you know, this this major global event there. And again, not a lot of people would have heard of Samurai. No, uh, you know, it was it was just. I think that if I remember rightly, it was right out towards. It wasn't quite the furthest out. I think yeah, that Yetteklingenberg that had the really yeah. weird uh, stands behind the goal that kind of like outside the stadium. I think, oh, that okay, was, yeah. I think that was the furthest out, but I think Samara was the second furthest kind of away. It was um, pushing out towards the Asian border and it was a bit more, it, like a lot different to Moscow, a lot right. different, you know, a lot more relaxed. It was kind of less hustle and bustle. And um, yeah, it was just a really nice place to be. I remember when we arrived, we booked this apartment for like 15 of us. Um, and we, we picked, you know, it's just people that we knew and people that we ended up bumping into a couple of days before and whatever. Oh, yeah, you're getting to Samara. Oh, I'm getting on the train. Oh, yeah. Where are you staying? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, come and stay with us. You know, chuck a, chuck a, chuck a few cushions down in our apartment and, <laughs> you know, have a, have a kip, have a kip in our place. So, yeah. uh, we, you know, we did that and we, we got there and there was this family leaving. They had a baby and there's kids and whatever. And they were leaving and we thought, oh, right, okay, they you know, they must have been the last people in here. And and they gave us the keys and it turned out they, they owned the apartment <laughs> or they were renting the apartment and yeah. they were moving into this caravan 
parked up the road. Gotcha. And just making a few quid out of us. And we spent between like 15 of us, I think it worked out at like a fiver each for the two nights or something. It, it was so cheap. Wow. It, it, it can't have been more than 100 quid the two nights. So it, we, we were just like, no, we ain't having this. So we, we filled the fridge up and, you know, we, we, we filled the fridge up when, before we left. And yeah. we said, you know, that's for you. We left some um, books or some comics and a little bit of money for the kids and stuff, you know, on the on the table. You know, we made sure that we paid. You know, we all spent like triple what we did on the on the, on the actual hire in the room, it was at least that maybe four or five times each, you know, we, 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 we made sure we did right by them. And, um, yeah, but that, that was, that was, it, it was just utterly bizarre. We basically just turfed out this family. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but yeah, it's just, I, I'm guessing there's quite a few people that probably have, uh, have got similar stories with stuff like that. And they were just making hay while the sunshine. Why they? not? Why yeah. not? Well, They'd beaten Sweden in the quarterfinal, and for the first time since 1990, England were in a semi-final of a World Cup. And by now, were you thinking, we can win this? Yeah. I mean, one last thing on Samara. When we were on the way home, this was the only train we were on that didn't have a buffet car, and the aircon was broke. (laughs) And it was baking. It was like 35 degrees or something there was a load of people complaining to the train staff all of a sudden every every one of these trains had kgb on it oh dear this kgb officer walked onto our carriage with an axe you know like a proper fireman or woodsman's axe he walked onto the train and we thought what on earth is going on here you know what's he going to do who's he going to take out with this you know (laughs) and he just hacked the window away no. He took the window out, the whole the, like the window, and it just fell onto the track outside. <laughs> and we carried on, and he just pointed and went, aircon. What? <laughs> <laughs> and we were all stood there basically in our pants in these, you know, in this carriage. All all the blokes were. We were just stood there in our in our pants, just like all taking turns to like hog the window for like five or ten minutes at a time. <laughs> and and yeah, but and the other thing with that as well was my mate Dan didn't have a ticket for the semi final. He didn't he didn't get one in the conditionals. So right. um he decided not to do it because he was always going to be going home. But yeah, he didn't go home. Um <laughs> he didn't go back to work. And yeah, and he just about managed one. And that was one of my favorite that's one of my favourite bits of the whole tournament that was with just seeing his face when he got a ticket oh, for that semi final. So yeah. And that was on that train. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. the semi-final, we, again, Moscow, uh, yeah. in the other stadium. The Luzhniki. Um, the Luzhniki, unbelievable stadium. It's right. just unreal. I mean, they, they, you can tell, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars well spent there. Right. You know? But, yeah, lo- lovely stadium. Yeah, it was just good being in Moscow. And in the run-up to that game, we had... Um, I did like a little video and I had about 30 or 40 people uh, from different countries all saying it's coming home. Ah. And, you know, and it was just all the, the, a lot of people were wanted us to win, I felt, but we were playing Croatia and the Croatians, the only team that I watched and I thought, oh no, was no. Croatia in that, in that tournament, but on TV before that game, before the semifinals. Gotcha. So, and it was the three nil against Argentina. Was it? Was it three nil? I think it was. And they just battered them. They just completely battered them. I thought, oh my god, we're gonna we're gonna be in trouble if we play them. And we ended up playing them, didn't we? Um, well, we got to me, a great start. Yeah, absolutely. That was 
up there with one of the best moments I've had in sport. That Trippier free kick. I know what happened afterwards wasn't brilliant, yeah. but and I think it, it was very three minutes. What was it? Five minutes into the game. Yeah, wasn't five it? minutes. He did. You know, he did that, and then five minutes from the end in injury, in extra time, he limped off, yeah. and he left. He put us down to ten men. So that it bookended that game, and it, but you know, both was including him. So he put us up, and then the injury to him, bless him, he was. You know that that's what that's what kind of ended it for us, really going down to the ten men. So everyone knows that obviously we we didn't make it for for various reasons. Croatia had beat us two one, and and we were out. I mean, coming away from there, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I know how you felt, but you and and everyone else must have felt so gutted. I was devastated, really was, and I was more devastated than when we, you know. The, the the niece loss and uh, more than what I was last year, yeah. I would say. You know, we went all the way last year, and but this was for me. It, well, you know, well, one step off all the way. Um, but this was just like, oh no, you know, this is like we we we're on the crest of a wave, and then that's it. It's it's done, yeah. and it's it's over. And you know we're effectively out. We've still got that one game to play, but we're effectively out. And it, it really did. But what, what made it even more special, what made the whole tournament even more special was that was the longest that we stayed in the stadium after the game right. with the team and with Southgate. And there was members of the media there as well stood. And you could just, everything, everyone just came together in that, at the end of that semi-final. And we, we were with the players as much as we were when we, you know, when we won the other games. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the, there was one last game. I'd, it's up to you whether you want to tell us that one, but it was on to St. Petersburg for the third place match. They're usually just seen as a formality for the tournament, really, yeah. but it was Belgium again. And uh, I guess it's probably a game that probably wasn't really fussed about, but I mean, St. Petersburg is a lovely place to go to, having been there myself. It is. It was It was lovely. I mean, as soon as we got through the quarterfinal, we knew then we could book our flight home. It was right. three o'clock in the morning after the final from Moscow. So we knew we knew we could do that because we knew we got the we got the third place anyway, even if we lost in the semi. And that, that we booked it for my now wife, Hannah, because she was flying out anyway. So she flew out for this game. Right. Um, and I mean, she landed in Moscow and she she didn't spend, she spent hardly any time in Moscow and hardly any time in St. Petersburg, really. Um, it was just trading there and back. It was about probably 15, 16 hours on the train because we got a slow one there and back. And the, the other thing, what really struck us, we got there about 11 o'clock at night and it was like at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. It was just, it was what, it was, it was the white nights. Yeah. And it was just, we, it was really strange, really, really, really strange, um, strange sensation. I think it was dark for like an hour or two hours. Yeah. And the players were staying just north of that and they were having a similar problem. It, right. it didn't get dark at all there, apparently. So, yeah. But, yeah, the game, like I said earlier, the other Belgium game, like nothing's really to write home about, but that stadium is up there with Spurs as the, the nicest new stadium I've been to. Gotcha. Uh, just Lovely, lovely area, right in the middle of the park. Really nice setting, love, lovely stadium, and yeah, St. Petersburg, lovely place as well. Yeah, well, it, it was. Well, yeah, <laughs> whether we'll yeah. get to see it again, 
we shall see. Yeah, 2018 in, oh, what could have been. But here we are, ever so close to another World Cup. Can we? Yeah. I mean, we finished fourth in that one, third in the um, in the Nations League, second in the Euros, and now we, here we are. So you know, we're gonna we're gonna win it. It's obvious. So no, I'm, to be honest, quarter final, we need to we need to be heading towards that as a minimum. But if we play Senegal in that round of sixteen, they're a tough team. They are a tough team. You look at their players. You look at one of the best keepers in the world. There, you got you know got sent got a really good centre half from Kurabali. You've got. Um, Got Mane up front. You've got there's all sorts of problems there for us, but you know probably France. I think it's going to be, isn't it, in the quarters? So that's what they think. Yeah, yeah. Then if, if we if we manage to beat them, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? CJ, it's been a pleasure to to talk to you once again and and just relive Russia 2018. I know we've had sort of little time to to talk about it. We've managed to squeeze it into a a forty minute Zoom time. So yeah, many thanks for uh, for joining us for it. No problem. Blame you. Many thanks go to CJ there. He's been a a regular on the podcast over the years. He always gives a great insight into following England, both home and away. And I've no doubt you've seen his flag, either at Wembley or abroad. It has no matter how far across it. Very apt. Obviously, as England fans, we'll remember it as a tournament where we went so far, but just fell towards the finish line. But as a tournament... It also saw the defending champions Germany eliminated at the group stage, finishing bottom of Group F after losing to Mexico and South Korea. This is nothing new though, a defending champion going out early. They're in good company. France did it in 2002, Italy in 2010 and Spain in 2014. Uruguay, Croatia and Belgium They were the only nations to win all three of their group games. None of the African sides would progress to the round of 16. Although Senegal could consider themselves very unfortunate as they were tied with Japan in their group for second place. They missed out by virtue of yellow cards received. And it was in the round of 16 where Uruguay dispatched Portugal. France-Argentina was a 4-3 thriller. Brazil beat Mexico, Belgium beat Japan, hosts Russia went through after beating Spain on penalties, and Croatia also beat Denmark on penalties, Sweden saw off Switzerland, and then, as we mentioned with CJ, in the round of 16, saw the end of our penalty hoodoo. The quarterfinals pitched Uruguay against France, which the French won 2-0, Belgium who many were talking about as possible winners, beat Brazil. Croatia put the hosts Russia out on penalties after drawing 2-2. And of course, we eased past Sweden. So the semi-finals were an all-European affair. France beat Belgium and Croatia saw us off. The final was France against Croatia. And it really was one-way traffic. 
But Croatia gave it a good go. But France won it 4-2. With the goals coming from, well, Mandzukic kicked France off with an own goal. Perisic then equalised. And Griezmann from the spot. Pogba got another in the second half. Kylian Mbappe, who was to go on to become the world's most expensive player, got the fourth for France before Mandzukic, after scoring that own goal, pulled on back for Croatia. But it wasn't enough. France, once again, were the World Cup winners. England would go on to lose the third place match against Belgium, meaning they lost to the Red Devils twice in the same tournament and would come fourth just as they had done in 1990 in Italy. Although similar to Italy, where Gary Lineker won the golden boot, Harry Kane would take that honour this time, once again with six goals. And that's the story of Russia 2018 and England's journey throughout it. A case of so close yet so far. And with Qatar 2022 almost upon us, can we take it a step further this time? We'll just have to wait and watch. Once again, thank you to everyone that has participated in this series of podcasts over the year. It's been a tough ask to get them all done, but I am so pleased to have done so. I'm quite proud of myself, I have to admit. It did nearly get the better of me, but the reactions you have given them have been great after you've listened. So I'm glad I persisted. I'm so glad you enjoyed them. As I promised, I said... I'd name check everyone uh, who helped me along the way. You may recognise some and want to go back over them. The 1958 and 1962 episode, I was joined by former Blackburn Rovers and England international Brian Douglas. What a chap. 1966 episode, I was joined by Peter Woodman, who saw us win the World Cup here on home soil. He was there. He tells us all about it. 1970, I was joined by Pat Napier. I loved this one, especially as I really didn't think I'd find anyone for that tournament. There's a great story in that one. 1982, I was joined by Les Gasson. Uh, He's been good to me over the years, sharing many of his stories. 1986, Paddy Buckley and also former England player Gary Stevens. They told us about Mexico going all that way. 1990, I was joined by Brighton fan Mark Raven. 1998 was journalist and author Mark Palmer. 2002, my very good friend Dan Hardman-Smart, who I travelled to Japan with. 2006, Crystal Palace fan and England expert Howard Taylor. 2010, Glyn Davis told us about South Africa uh, and he is someone I'm sure I'll be speaking with again very soon on the podcast. 2014, Dean Cornish always gives us a great insight into following England. He told us all about Brazil and of course this episode, CJ Joyner, thanks to him. Once again, thank you very much to you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I think it'd be right to do a 2022 episode. So stay subscribed and you won't miss it. Thanks as always. I'll be back with you again 
very soon. So until then, cheers. <laughs>